So hinge moments are times when a specific outcome is unknown, when you're faced with more than one possibility and things can go either way. They are moments when existing ways of functioning are called into question, when we become aware of alternatives and when two different paths at least open before us. There are hinge moments in politics, in religion, in our families, and in other areas too. One such hinge moment is the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962. For an intense 13-day period, the U.S. and the Soviet Union were engaged in a standoff. The Soviet Union had brought nuclear missiles into Cuba, endangering what was already a pretty shaky peace. President Kennedy ordered a naval blockade around Cuba and threatened to use military force if the missiles remained. Ultimately, the Soviet Union removed the missiles in return for assurance that the U.S. would not invade Cuba, along with a secret promise to remove U.S. missiles from Turkey and Italy. A military confrontation was avoided, but just barely. If things had evolved differently, the whole landscape of history might be unrecognizable to us from where we stand today. Another hinge moment involves Irenaeus, a bishop in the latter part of the second century. Irenaeus served as a mediator between the eastern and western parts of the church in their dispute over when to celebrate Easter. But he wasn't so accommodating when it came to issues of theology. He wrote five books outlining various heresies within the church. And he was a persuasive voice when it came to advocating a canon consisting of four gospels, the same four gospels that we have in our canon of scripture today. Had Irenaeus suggested including more Gospels in our canon of Scripture, maybe we would be more accepting of theological diversity in the Church today. We might also, though, have less regard for the importance of creation. We might treasure all things spiritual at the expense of all things physical. It was a hinge moment in the Church. And then there are hinge moments in our own lives. Someone is charged with driving under the influence of alcohol, and suddenly the underlying problem with addiction can no longer be denied. This can be a wake-up call that leads to treatment, rehabilitation, and a brand new life. Or the person can continue on a self-destructive path, losing their job, refusing to acknowledge the seriousness of the charge, and drinking even more in an attempt to shut out the voice of reality. It's a hinge moment. I read the first two chapters in Acts as a hinge moment for the disciples. After his resurrection, Jesus appears to the disciples for a 40-day period. He tells them to stay in Jerusalem until they've received the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus ascends into heaven, leaving the disciples staring up into the sky. It is a hinge moment. Do the disciples return to nearby Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit? Or do they give in to their fear and return to their previous life, to their hometowns, to fishing, tax collecting, and such? They choose the path that leads to Jerusalem, to a Pentecost of divided tongues and disorientation, to a lifetime of the Holy Spirit leading them down paths born of holy chaos. If we're honest, every time the Holy Spirit shows up in our lives, there is a curve in our path. We are changed, or at the very least, we are invited to change. The Holy Spirit is always rearranging the furniture in our lives. 
always moving things around and calling us to change our path. Maybe that's why the Holy Spirit is pictured as something that moves, as water that flows, as fire that spreads, as oil that seeps into the wrinkles of our skin, as wind that rushes past. In fact, its movement is how we recognize the Holy Spirit at work. We don't actually see the Spirit itself. Instead, we become aware of its presence by how things shift around us and within us, and by how that shifting opens up paths that lead to healing and wholeness. That's why Jesus calls the Holy Spirit Advocate. The Holy Spirit is always at work for us, bringing healing and wholeness into the world and into our own lives. Many versions of the Bible use words other than advocate to translate the Greek word rendered paraclete in English. It is translated in some versions as helper, friend, counselor, companion, or comforter. But I think these names, especially the one comforter, only tell half the story, because the Spirit might just as well be called the divine instigator. Look at what happens in Acts. We find this beautiful scene of holy chaos, the followers of Jesus speaking in languages that each person hears as his or her own. But make no mistake, it's not necessarily comforting. People are astounded, confused, undone. A movement is started that stirs up everything. And in its wake, the deacon Stephen becomes the church's first martyr. Paul undergoes a drastic conversion. And then the Gentiles also receive the gifts of tongues, resulting in a round of meetings and debates within the church in Jerusalem. Divine instigator may truly seem a more apt term, a more apt description than holy comforter. And I think that's true in our own lives as well. The metaphor I like for the Holy Spirit is that of a divine moving company of sorts. A holy version of two men in a truck. We can have our paths all figured out. We can have the furniture in our lives placed just where we want it to be. The carpet can even be worn down in patterns that mark our repeated thoughts and actions. But then the Holy Spirit shows up and begins moving the furniture around. We don't see the movers at work, but we know they've been there by the way things have shifted. We start to walk our usual paths only to find the coffee table now crowding us out on the right, the footstool partially blocking our way on the left, and a blue chair where a smaller brown one once sat. It's like our house after a Duke basketball game. If we're not paying attention, we are bound to bump into things, maybe even get a little banged up. In today's reading from John, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Truth. And earlier in that gospel, he says, the truth shall set you free. Yes, that is true. The truth does set us free. But as many people have remarked and as most of us have experienced, the truth sets us free, but first it usually makes us miserable, angry, and confused. It may give us bruised knees, stumped toes, and maybe even a fall along the way. But even here, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave us to our own devices. She comes alongside us when we've fallen and helps us off the floor. She scoots this chair over and carts out a floor lamp, opening up a path that we've never even thought of before. She whispers, fear not, takes our hand in hers, and starts to walk the new path with us. This is also the Holy Spirit. 
this time known to us as the Holy Comforter. See, the Holy Spirit is always moving, always shifting things, always carrying us along with her. She never lets anything solidify. She is constantly creating hinge moments and opening up paths that lead to healing and wholeness. She brings both chaos and peace. She is both instigator and comforter. But either way, she is for us. She is our advocate. I sometimes wonder if Jesus had to ascend in order for the disciples to notice the Spirit at work in the world. If Jesus had remained with them, I imagine the disciples would have kept their focus on him, on the one path that he traveled as both human and divine. Would they have paid attention to the subtle shifting of things around them, to the myriad of paths opening up in all directions, or to the paths opening ever more deeply within them? Of course, the Holy Spirit was pretty hard to miss when it came through that day with a violent wind, giving to Jesus' followers the gift of languages and the courage to speak boldly. We usually have to look more closely to recognize the movement of the Spirit, and I'm afraid that I, for one, often miss it altogether. We are too busy and too loud to pay attention to what's around us, And our minds seldom stop long enough for our hearts to feel the prompting of the Spirit deep within us. I wonder how many hinge moments we pass by without ever noticing them for what they are. Maybe that's why the celebration of Pentecost is so important year after year. It's a reminder that God is present with us, always at work in the world, always rearranging the furniture even when we fail to notice. It's a reminder to look not just for the violent gush of wind, but also for the gentle rustle of leaves, not just for the blaze burning out of control, but also for the ember that suddenly, stubbornly stays lit, not just for the flowing stream, but also for the constant drip. It's a reminder to look for places where the divine instigator is shaking things up and for places where the holy comforter is creating peace. It's a reminder to look for the fruits of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, and gentleness. Because where we find those, we'll also find God. It's a reminder to look for hinge moments. Moments when new pathways open before us. New opportunities to love. And when we do see these things, either in the world or in ourselves, Pentecost calls us to cooperate with the movement of the Spirit to let ourselves be swept along with it, even down paths of holy chaos. Because just as the Spirit swept over the waters in the creation story, in all these places too, God is at work making all things new. We know so many places, both in the world and in us, that need to be made new. I think that's one of the reasons that Pentecost can resonate so deeply with us. We need the Holy Spirit. It's why we come here on this day holding the sorrows of the world in one hand and the promise of Pentecost in the other. And we voice the hope of all our days, saying, Come, Holy Spirit, come.